Hey folks, this is Taylor. Wanted to give you a quick rundown of the show for the day. Uh, I am going to be talking to Bobby Warshaw, as the title of this program would indicate. Uh, it's split in half. Uh, in between is Daryl Grove making a brief return slash recorded last night uh, to answer a question about which Americans have the most to gain or lose in this coming transfer window uh, with some ads in there as well. So it'll be Bobby, me and Daryl, Bobby again. I should say me and Bobby me and Daryl, me and Bobby again. Bobby's not just going to be rambling by himself. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll be rambling right there with him. Uh, so there's your quick preview of what's to come. Now, here's some music. Everybody and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am your host for today, Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is not with me. Instead, I'm going to be joined by Bobby Warshaw of MLS Soccer Fame. Bobby joined me to uh, look back at the USA Jamaica game, such as it was, and then take a more detailed look at Greg Berhalter's Gold Cup roster. Uh, there has been much consternation, much concern about it, so we're going to go deep on that. But I should also add, as I said at the very end of this interview, that I initially thought we would go for about half an hour max. Uh, me and Bobby talking. Instead, we went for almost an hour uh, because aside from just kind of talking about the individual players and the roster itself, uh, we, we go kind of deep on aspects of the like, how do you build a roster? Which players does Bobby think would fit better in certain situations? And then also a little bit about sort of like the trials and tribulations of being a fan of this U.S. national team, uh, because it does feel like it is a more stressful time to be a U.S. fan than maybe ever, which is strange to say, given that we failed to qualify for a World Cup only a year and a half ago, but that's kind of the situation I think we're in. So we talk a, a lot about a lot of different things. This is the best way I can explain it. All of them relating to the U.S. national team, a lot of them relating to this Gold Cup roster. So uh, hopefully you all enjoy. I definitely did. Uh, and with that in mind, I will just turn it over to me and Bobby talking about lots of stuff. With me now, I've got my friend and yours. It's Mr. Bobby Warshaw. Hey, Bobby, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Um, always a pleasure. Always excited to get to talk to you about the national team. We've got the Gold Cup roster uh, to discuss. There's uh, been much discussion of it already online, on Twitter especially. But first, I wanted to talk about what everyone enjoyed was the USA's 1-0 loss to Jamaica, uh, which was maybe one of the worst games. I told my wife that I've seen the United States play in quite some time, maybe ever. Uh, Bobby, what were your major takeaways from that game, or how were you feeling uh, at full time of that game? I was feeling probably the same as everyone listening to the show. Right. I, would, I would say my main takeaway was that Greg Berhalter clearly had two goals going in. The first was play this group of players, which seems clear to me is the second group of players. Like I know that maybe you could say that Matt Miazga is a starter or maybe Tim Ream is a starter, but also maybe it's Aaron Long and mm-hmm. Walker Zim and John Ant- So anyway, he was playing what seems to be the second group check. He got the minutes. He got them evaluated. He got them playing a system that he wanted them to play, which is the second part. He, he clearly wanted to try this formation. It was the formation that he used at the end of the Chile game. You know, the U.S. was struggling against Chile in that middle 30 minutes. He goes to the 3-4-3. He has the wingbacks push up higher. It fulfills the goal he wanted. They hadn't worked on it prior to that game. So Greg Berhalter says, we should have the second very different formation from the first one in our back pocket. The, the weird part to me is the way those two things clash. Mm-hmm. If you want to get these players who were mostly new to the group, 
right? They weren't guys, as far as I, I could tell, who were in January camp, who have been with the team, who had played in that 4-3-3 hybrid right back 3-4-3 role. So if you want to get these guys integrated in the team, you want to evaluate them. Why wouldn't you evaluate them in the primary style and the primary system? I mean, why are you trying to kill two birds with one stone when that stone can't actually split in both ways? So that was my main takeaway was quite simply that I get what Greg Berhalter was doing. It seems to me he got it very wrong. And I would be surprised if he wouldn't just acknowledge that, that he had two decent intentions, but they couldn't work at the same time. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with both of those points. I think what we settled on on the show was maybe that like by setting up in that 3-4-3 like from the beginning, it kind of puts the United States in a struggle position. Like As you said, like it allowed them to get more against Chile. So I think maybe this was his mm-hmm. look for if the United States is playing a potentially weaker right. opponent, then you get kind of – theoretically more attacks in there obviously that was not the case but I agree with you that I don't quite understand why you would play the kind of players who are on the bubble you're trying to figure out if they fit with your roster if you want to keep them around but then also have them do a new system which I assume they practiced this week but it's still a new system for a lot of these guys yeah yeah I mean they don't have been for two days I actually want to correct you I didn't think this was about playing a weaker opponent it seems clear to me that if you're playing a weaker opponent you play the 4-3-3 with the outside back tucking in, overloading the middle, and the wingers wide. I mean, that seems clearly to me the optimal formation, or at least the optimal setup of players when you are the superior team and plan to dominate the ball. This, to me, was the we're going to play an athletic, fast team that likes to go wide. Because what you're doing is you're stepping up your wing backs to close down the advances and the wide channels early, right? Basically, you're not letting them get ahead of steam because your outside backs have cover and can step as high as they want defensively. But two, when you have the line of five, it's just naturally less space to cover. So there's less danger of long diagonals. And maybe even ideally, you, you desensitize, no, disincentivize mm-hmm. them from hitting those long balls because it's easier for you to cover that ground. Um, so that was my takeaway. It's the formation you use when you're worried about pace and threats out wide. So then w- what if, if you extend that further then? Because I, I don't think I disagree. That's an interesting point, uh, even if it kind of disproves some things I've already said. Uh, my question then is, what do you think went wrong? Our takeaway was that maybe it was the United States struggling with the pressure put on by Jamaica in the middle of the field and with some of the decision-making mm-hmm. from those midfielders, as well as, mm-hmm. I think, continuing to struggle with the pace out wide and the physicality of the game. Um, that was our read. Agreed. Why do you think that didn't work? I think your points are really good. I would just add, and it's a little bit like what we talked about in the Richmond Kicker show, about the way the players are asked to set up. Mm-hmm. Don't come to the ball. Don't move too much. Get to your spots. Trust your teammate and wait. And what I thought we saw last night was just a lot of confusion in that. You know, whereas after the January camp, they had three weeks of this idea of if the player doesn't need you, back up. Get in between the lines. Get into a pocket of space and wait. And what I thought, what I thought we saw between Jackson Yule and Christian Rodon and Georgi Mihailovic, who really need to be the engine of this team in the middle, was that they were just confused. I mean, how many times? I mean, literally just on a very basic level, did one of them make a pass that was just three yards away from where the other pass was? I mean, it was, it was mm-hmm. so basic. It was weird to watch. But it also makes sense with how Burhalter wants this team to play and the lack of preparation they had. And it's not an excuse. You know, Burhalter's job is to understand these limitations. His job is to put the players in the best positions to, to, to succeed given the parameters he has. And I think he blew that. 
but it also makes sense to me both what he was trying and why it didn't go right. All right. I have a question then for you that's like maybe slightly psychological and slightly relies on your expertise as a, as a professional athlete. Uh, um, retired mm-hmm. at this point, I should add. Um, but uh, it's still, it still holds. Not officially that... retired, Taylor. I'm just saying. The okay. option's open. All right. All right. I, mean, Somebody... I haven't sent out that Instagram post. <laughs> oh, you, you haven't written the long, the, long, uh, the long post yet? Okay. Until that happens. No, it's in the draft. Uh, folks, Bobby is, st- Bobby is still eligible. You hear that, Greg Berhalter? But here's, here's the question for you then. So uh, my frustration with Georgia Mihailovic last night was that I felt like he was just a second or two slow pretty consistently and that when you're playing central midfield at international level there's that much more pressure on you that you've got to be able to play faster I'm now wondering like I guess if you'll bear with me because this is kind of a strange question but like in your opinion to play that role to play as like a number 10 uh, in the sort of uh, morphing shape that Greg Berhalter likes is it about being able to kind of play quickly is it about memorizing what's asked of you so that you know I'm getting the ball from the left I need to turn and play it to the right I'm getting the ball from the right I need mm-hmm. to like play it diagonally back to the right like is it memorizing yeah. those situations or is it just sort of being able to read in the moment and adapt and think quickly I would say it's, well, it's morph of the two, right? So one of the underrated things about soccer, and I know every time I'm on your show, your guests are probably like, not this yet, man. Like, <laughs> come on, Bobby, stop it. But one of the things that I feel about soccer is too often we think it's this creative art and not often, and we don't actually give it the credit that really every player is a quarterback doing a quarterback's checklist on the field. Mm. So when you're Georgia Mihailovic, you need to have some art to understand the distance and the space and then finding that pocket. But you also have a checklist, right? You're, and if you think about LAFC and Bob Bradley, I mean, what happens over and over? It's Carlos Vela or Mark Anthony Kay gets the ball in a pocket. Their body shape is already open. They receive it to the front foot and they slip the ball to Diego Rossi or to Carlos Vela, right? It's unbelievable how often it happens. But it happens because they work on it so often because that's number one. So if you can get the ball into that spot, you know what your first look is. The problem is that that's not on. What do you do? Mm-hmm. And that is where the in-moment evaluation comes in. That is where the creativity, so to speak, is how do I read this and know that option number one of the checklist isn't on, so I've got to go to option number two. And yeah, it seems to me, well, I can have an overarching conversation about a player like Georgia Mihailovic if you want to have it. But speaking to your specific question, it seems clear to me that he doesn't have that checklist ingrained to mm-hmm. his brain nor does he have the reads or just a general comfort in the quick situations to make the decisions on the fly. So then, in your opinion then, uh, like we'll stick with Mihailovic for a minute because it's like an obvious or an easy specifically example, but like what does he then need to do? How does he improve that? How do you go into practice and get better at that type of skill set? Mm-hmm. So it's hard. If I can make a broad question about Georgia Mihailovic, I like him as a player, right? I think you, you can start George Mihailovic on your MLS team and win MLS Cup, and he might even be one of the more important players of that team, a little bit like a Marky Delgado or a Jonathan Osorio. It also makes me mad that since the beginning of time, we see good players and we only hold them to the national team standard. Like, what if this actually isn't George Mihailovic's fault or his role? And he's just not a national team player. And, like, why are we talking about what can George Mihailovic do? Like, he is very good at what he does but he's not quite good enough to be a national team player. And I know that doesn't help our conversation here, but just for the way we frame all these things, you know, I would even put like maybe Benny Fellhaber into that conversation where Benny Fellhaber is a really, really good player. Maybe he just isn't the guy that helps us win a world cup. And 
I don't have anywhere else to take that. I just want to plant that seed in, in the ether. <laughs> well, uh, I, yeah, no, okay. no I, mean, I, I think that I think that's fair. But like, I guess I, I mean more so like when when you are in this position of like it just it feels like maybe you don't have those reads down. You don't have that kind of like way of processing yeah. things down. I imagine that would be a very difficult thing because if your coach isn't necessarily wanting you to do that for your club team, or if that's not a thing that they're prioritizing that week, how do you get better aside from like, go find a new club? And I doubt that's a thing that Milovic right. is going to want to do. Right. Yeah. It's hard, man. Cause when there's a turnover, right. And say Omar Gonzalez has it last night and plays into Will Trap in that second and a half that that happened, Mihailovic needs to back up 10 yards he needs to check his shoulder. You know, where is the left back? Where's the center back? Where's the center midfielder? Am I in the right pocket? If I'm in this pocket, if the ball comes to me, which of these three defenders is going to close me down? If, you know, depending on which three close me, which way do I need to turn my body? Because what's really special about teams that play this way, and you can think about a Mark Anthony Kay or an Edward Atuesta or a Sergi Busquets or a David Silva or a Bernardo Silva is their body shape before they receive the ball, that there's no waste of motion. It's into my left foot. I make the next pass with my right foot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the other thing is you need to understand which of these three players, because remember, you're always trying to go in pockets. When you're going in between a pocket, you're going into this half or third space, meaning there's a 50 or 30% chance that any of those defenders could close you down. And you're hoping that they all decide not to, because they all think it's somebody else's job, but one might do it. And if one of them does do it, which way do I want my body turned so that I can make my next action? And all of this decision-making needs to happen in that time that Omar Gonzalez wins the ball and plays it to Will Trap, and Will Trap picks up his head. Wow. So you, you nailed it, Taylor. I don't know how you, how you get better at that unless you're doing it every single day, which is also the reason why I don't think Christian Pulisic could play, should play that job and like try and figure all this out yeah. when he's just perfectly fine out on the wing. But we've had that conversation before. Yeah, that, that's a potential minefield that we can get to in a little bit if, if we want to. But first, I wanted to talk to you about something else because uh, at the end of our show last mm-hmm. night, uh, one of the reasons why I genuinely, genuinely enjoy having Bobby on the show and enjoy uh, hearing from Bobby uh, is because I feel like you take different perspectives than Daryl and I both do mm-hmm. and than a lot of people do, uh, which is appreciated. Uh, so I was wondering <laughs> what it was going to be. Like I expected... I told Daryl, I think, on the show that I was like, I feel like there's a chance that Bobby's going to come on and be like, actually, I thought it was a pretty good performance because we learned this and this and this. Instead, it sounds like maybe the thing that you're disagreeing a little bit when it comes to the kind of uh, popular wave of thought would be about Dwayne Holmes. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I just don't have an opinion on Dwayne Holmes. <laughs> there it is. I, it, seems to me, it seems to me that Dwayne Holmes is just the 100th person on this list that we've done this for. All and right. that if you want your American soccer stock to go up, you want your value to go up within the American soccer Twitter community, the best thing you can do is be in a European non-Premier League league and play the last seven minutes of a national team game. Because everyone thinks you're amazing. Like, tell me how, who out there was watching Darby County on ESPN Plus in the middle of the championship season. Right. I mean, I mean, no I mean that was, was that was our tradition here in, here on the Total Soccer Show. We every single day oh we met. Uh, yeah, and we we had a detailed evaluations of Dwayne. No, we didn't do that. We did not do that. It's a fair it's question. Like, it's like these these people are like Jonathan Amon and Emmanuel Savvy are so good. It's like, are you watching the Danish league? Like, come on, guys. I'm not saying they're not good players. I'm just saying the stands that they have out there mm-hmm. are just like. I get the urge to want what is new and unknown. I just personally find it. It's the same thing I have with the U20s right now. Mm-hmm. I get it. 
I just personally find it annoying. Uh, but I don't. If maybe Dwayne Holmes turns out to be very good, yeah, I, I just mean, want that job. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I get your point. Like, you're not you're not saying that these guys are bad. You're just saying that we tend to get hyped about the guy who maybe comes in at the very right. end when things don't look good and they look energetic and lively and right. maybe a little bit creative. So I, I think mm-hmm. I would agree with you there. I'm still uh, not quite maybe a stand, but I'm definitely on uh, team D- team Dwayne Holmes right now. What what is your like? I'm all about, I guess, like having you establish levels then today, it seems. But like, what is your level of like if Dwayne Holmes, like, is it like he gets to the Premier League, he plays regularly, he starts playing regularly for the U.S. national team? Is it like you see specific things from him while playing for the national team? When do you start to be a little bit more comfortable saying, yeah, this guy is very good or, yeah, maybe he's not so good? I would just say when I watch him four or five times. I mean, okay. Dwayne Holmes has done nothing wrong. I, he just is the latest example of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was Mick's discord for a while, right? Yeah. People really wanted Mix to have a key role because they just literally never saw him play for Rosenborg, and he would come in for the last 10 minutes for Klinsman, and the game would be sloppy because every American soccer game since the start of American men's soccer has been sloppy. Mm-hmm. And Mix, Mix comes on, he's kind of clean on the ball, and we say he's great. Uh, so that's just what I always think of. It's, we've had this whole slew of guys who we didn't really know anything about. So I wouldn't, I don't know. When I actually see Dwayne Holmes play five games, like, is I guess when I'll form a, an opinion. All right. So, uh, and, and I'm assuming when you say play, do you mean start? Do you say, do you mean like get at least like 60 minutes? Yeah, when I see him, when I see Dwayne Holmes play five hundred total minutes. Okay, all right, all right. I, I like that. I like that because you're not wrong. And like, am I okay with that? Are you judging me right now? Are this, you like God, Bobby? Why are you so such a downer? N- not, not at all. First of all, I recorded a podcast with Travis Clark earlier today, and Travis Clark is oh. the the ultimate <laughs> reality check. So don't worry about that. Uh, then the second thing I would say is like, no, I think that that's a thing that we try to do on the show is be a little bit more realistic about those things because I am. Mm-hmm. Pretty emotional. I think Daryl is too, when it, especially when it comes to the U.S. national team, uh, England as well. But I think like we try to kind of like pull back a little bit from that hype, but I think we still fail pretty regularly. And I think Dwayne Holmes is one that we, we probably did bite in on that, that he came in, had some really good touches, and just looked so much sharper that I think in that moment we thought like, okay, here's a guy who we are getting something out of. Here is, And maybe it's because we're looking for things to talk about that that feels like a, we can talk about this guy, he had some good minutes, we then kind of maybe buy into it a little bit more than we should. So I appreciate mm-hmm. the more nuanced approach because you're absolutely right. And I'm sure there are people who like eyes rolled back in their heads and thought like that never happened. But it is true. We, there was a period when we were like, who's this mixed guy? He's got long hair and he's got two X's in his names and he seems like he's going to be really <laughs> exciting. And and I mean, we've done it with lots of people. We've done it with Julian Green. We've done it with Aaron Johansson, I would say, yeah. back before uh, yeah. he stayed injured for his entire life. I mean, it, it does well, who else is our best 11? Ethan Horvath. Ethan Horvath is definitely on there right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ethan Horvath is on there. He's not quite as hyped. I think Anthony Robinson is on there. Like, who's watching? Nobody's watching Wigan, you know? Well, all right. I want to talk to you about Anthony Robinson for a second because we can get into We'll get into the squad now. Um, we've there's a lot of things to talk about here the biggest one has been josh Sargent. we'll get to him in a moment but first i I would like to hear your thoughts on anthony robinson because daryl and i disagreed about him uh, on the show one i was i was not like i wasn't convinced that he couldn't do the job of like sliding in and being the left center back when the united states does the right back becomes a central midfielder position but i also thought he could be an effective left back for the united states i am Less inclined to think that now, especially since he was left off the Gold Cup roster. What are your uh, thoughts on Anthony Robinson? I think every thought I have has to be has to 
go into this context. Mm-hmm. I thought we'd be further in 2019, right? Okay. Yeah. And I know you guys talk about this. You get to talk, talk about this specific thing more often than I do. So I just want to put that in there, right? Considering 15 years ago, we had better than Anthony Robinson. To, to talk about Anthony Robinson now is frustrating, mm-hmm. right? Now it's not his fault. I'm, this isn't about Anthony Robinson. This is the fact that our, our potentially starting left back is playing for Wigan in the mm-hmm. championship. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. With that said, with that cachet in there, um, he's fine. You know, like I, I personally wouldn't play him. He's probably not in my top five on the depth chart. Do I mind him? No. Do I understand why a coach would play him? Yes. But I remain around with the idea, especially if we're going to play with Tyler Adams as the, the inverted right back, that Aaron Long should be the starting left back. So, mm. I mean, Anthony Robinson is another player that I just don't have a strong opinion on. I personally wouldn't play him, but. Is that, is that because you don't think he offers as much going forward? Or you think it's because he's not as good of a defender? What is it exactly that you think makes, would make you hesitant if you were Greg Berhalter? You know what's funny? And I'll put it this way. And I, this makes me feel bad to say about players because I know it's just unfair to them as people. But it's not even worth parsing because just in just about every single way, there's no, there's no reason I see to play him. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like he's not as good enough. To, he's not as good of a defender as if you were to put Aaron Long out there. He's not as good passing as Tim Ream. He can't get forward like Greg Garza. So I don't, I don't even, I struggle to parse it because you, there's no argument to me that he is the right guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the argument that you and Daryl made? Oh, uh, I mean, I, I followed, it, I, it wasn't Daryl. I'll, I'll be honest there. No, it was it was yeah. it was it was me saying I I think it was just that I I kind of felt like he was kind of hard done in the Sarakin era of like he didn't have a lot of support. I didn't feel like there was a lot of tactical instruction going on and so it seemed like he kind of get put get kept getting put in positions where he was getting overloaded on one side and didn't have much support. So I really wanted to see him in a more structured system that I thought would maybe allow him to function a little bit better and and so I was pretty let down last night when admittedly the whole team didn't look very good I don't think the the system necessarily helped anybody but he mm-hmm. looked even sloppier than I would have expected with all that said that his passes just seemed off he had some crosses that went straight out of bounds it just it, it did not do much for me in feeling like I knew what I was talking about when it came to Anthony Robinson and but what does that make it now four of his five yep. national team games yep that he was that way. Yeah. And again, maybe if you're watching Wigan regularly, depending on how you value the championship, mm-hmm. you know, you can say we're wrong. But he had the one game, and it feels like people are hanging on to it. So I, I personally don't even know. I keep a depth chart constantly, Taylor. I mean, mm-hmm. do you guys do this? Do you just have like a, a spreadsheet on your computer with your own personal depth chart? No. We probably should. We don't. It's all, you should, dude. It's fun to like go through and tinker with it every month or so. And I do not have Anthony Robinson in my top five. I think we should do that because uh, like doing as many shows as we do and talking about as many things as we do, uh, I, I really do struggle to like keep everything in my brain. And there's so many times – Daryl is better at that than I am, totally. certainly. And there are so many times that Daryl will be like, well, remember he did that? I'm like, no, I have zero recollection of that. I told Travis this earlier that until – um, until Greg Berhalter talked about like, well, we need patience and the fans need to be patient and we're learning a new system. I had that flash of like, oh, right, we had a year of 
waiting for this guy to get hired. And like that's not his fault, but I just kind of forgot about that moment until he said that. And then it kind of became crystallized in my head. So you're right that probably keeping a depth chart would help me keep better track of these things so I then don't have to rely on Daryl and sure. Travis to remind me of such things. Yeah, for sure. Like You forget that there's like, like Ventura Alvarado, who oh, is yeah. captaining the team in League MX, is an option. And if you don't keep a depth chart, you just forget that. So I'll give you my left back. Yeah, I was about to ask you. I want, I want the Bobby Warshaw depth chart. Let's do it. And I'm literally the only person I've ever had I've ever heard with this opinion, but I would still start Aaron Long at left back. Okay. After that, if you were if we had a, a must win game tomorrow, I think you still probably play Demarcus Beasley. Wow. You know, and that's I know that's not necessarily a 2022 plan, but if you had to go into a must win game in Azteca, would you not still play Demarcus Beasley? After that, would you not still pick Fabian Johnson? Um, and then after that, I think it's Daniel Lovitz, Greg Garza, or the wild card again. If we had a week-long training camp to play a World Cup qualifier, I don't know why you wouldn't call Jordan Harvey in. And I know they're not sexy names. I know they're not names that you want, but Jordan Harvey is the best left back in the league, playing the most similar system to Greg Berhalter. And I don't don't know what you hope you got of Anthony Robinson and like a big must-win game that you wouldn't get out of DeMarcus Beasley, Jordan Harvey, Fabian Johnson. All right. Uh, no, I was, I was, the way you set that last one up, I thought you were going to say Breck Shea for a minute and I was going to hang up on you. But I'm, I'm glad that we didn't end up having to go that route. <laughs> no, man. Right. Maybe Michael Parker's though. All right. I could do that. Well, what about, what about your center backs then? Who, if you do have Aaron Long mm-hmm. starting at left back, who would you like to see yeah. maybe from this Gold Cup roster, uh, your center back options being, in addition to Aaron Long, Omar Gonzalez, Walker Zimmerman, uh, Matt Miazga, and Tim Ream. Tim Ream may end up playing mm-hmm. that left back spot that you talked about. Um, but who would you like to see playing as those two center back roles? Okay. So John Anthony Brooks is not in the team. We should right. note that in case people have not seen the roster. Yep. I would start Walker Zimmerman at right center back right now, both on form, both on player profile. At left center back, I would do Ream. I think for the way this team is going to play, where they're going to have most of the ball in most of these games, where it's about counter-pressing and not actually pressing or defending space and you have to organize players in front of you, I would do Ream next to Walker Zimmerman with Long on the left and Adams at right back. Much more still to come from my conversation with Mr. Bobby Warshaw, but first I'm joined by Mr. Daryl Grove. Hello, Daryl Grove. Hello, this is all very formal, Mr. Tyler Rockwell. It is indeed, Mr. <laughs> Grove Esquire. You're a lawyer now. Oh, wow. That's what I've done, yes. Yeah. And also the honorable, because now you're a judge as well. Why not? You're getting promoted very quickly. All kinds of upgrades. This is true. Let this is true. Daryl Grove is not with me in studio while I'm talking to Bobby Warshaw, but was with me in studio last night, which is right now for me. Oh, this is a weird days of future, <laughs> days of future past situation, It right? sure is. But Daryl Grove is here to help me answer one listener question that pertains to Americans in the transfer window. It's oh, uh, exciting, right? It could take five minutes to answer. It could take 45 minutes. We'll see yeah. how it goes. But first, we should talk about today's sponsor. Hello. Fresh. Hello, Fresh to you too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It does feel like a greeting, doesn't it? Hello, Fresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step by step, oh baby, recipes mm. and pre measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. As you said, it's pre measured ingredients and easy to follow six step pictured recipe cards delivered to your door each week in special insulated box. It keeps it cold, but I have to say, the thing I enjoy most about that is the pre measured because I am one who will be like, 
do the measurement and they'll be like, yeah, I could use a little more flavor. I'll throw some more in there. Yeah. And then I end up ruining it because I end up adding like, too many of the same old flavors. Italian seasoning tends to be the one mm-hmm. uh, that makes Alexis uh, Guerrero's roll his eyes, but I add too <laughs> much of it. So because they're all pre-measured, you can't really add any other ingredients. It's just all there and you end up cooking it exactly how you're supposed to cook it. You can't go wrong. You That's can't. why it makes conquering the kitchen a reality with deliciously simple mm-hmm. recipes that even Taylor can't ruin. That even Taylor can't ruin. Uh, they come together in 30 minutes max call for fewer than two pots and pans and require minimal cleanup i i like the fewer than two pots and pans thing yeah. i wonder if there's some recipes where they're like oh no this is pot real fast <laughs> <laughs> but i think actually i think that's realistic some yeah. people maybe only have a couple of pots and pans so the great thing with the hello fresh recipe is it doesn't require you to like have some special instrument that you definitely don't have in your kitchen that maybe uh Maybe it would be a bit of a stretch to assume that you have it. Do you, you know, know what I'm saying? I do. Do you know who wishes that we only had two pots and pans? That'd be my wife. What? Me, on the other hand, we have like 15 of them. <laughs> <laughs> it, do you use one, not wash it up, put it to one side, use another one, and then you have a pile of pots and pans? One, I don't think you know this about me, strangely enough, yeah. after all this time. No, I am I am very particular about my, my, my kitchen utensils and items. Uh, okay. Knives get sharpened. Knives don't go in the dishwasher. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so a certain pot is for a certain thing. A certain pan is for a certain thing. And as a result, we have way too many things in our kitchen. So why does why does your wife wish there were fewer? Just so it was because that's not really her style. Just less things. Yes, yes, yes. She wants to go a bit more like uh, Spartan. If it it doesn't spark joy, get rid. Yes, and I do that with most things except for stuff in the kitchen. But do you know what does spark joy in the kitchen? What's that? Hello, fresh. Oh. Way to get us back on track. That's what I do, my friend. It's what I do. Um, Yeah, you can uh, choose from three different meal plans, classic, veggie, or family, with options to switch between for when your tastes change or, as I think you pointed out last time, family size changes. So you can adjust it on the fly. That's the thing that happens. Yeah, you're not – Discover you have four extra kids you didn't know about? (laughs) Change it to the family plan. Honey, we counted wrong. If you have a Macaulay Culkin situation, the yeah. child is left behind. Yeah. Now you can just go ahead and order for you two I alone. Mean, you should also like call the authorities. Also, and probably that. Try and find that child. Yeah, they definitely went to jail, huh? <laughs> the McAllister's doing it twice in a row. That probably didn't go well for them. <laughs> HelloFresh can also help you get out of that recipe rut. Mm-hmm. You just keep cooking the same things over and over and over, sort of like I do with vegetable stir fries. This will help you mix it up and do something different. That's the other thing I do, and then I t- try to vary it by adding more seasoning, and it doesn't work. So, <laughs> how about this? but with more Italian seasoning. Yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> uh, so uh, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, <laughs> go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS80 and enter promo code TSS80 at checkout. That's once- the letters TSS and the numbers 80. That is correct. Uh, so uh, once again, that's HelloFresh.com slash TSS80, promo code TSS80 for $80 off your first month. Thank you to HelloFresh mm-hmm. for sponsoring today's show. And now goodbye, Fresh. Hello questions. Oh, my goodness. We have one question to answer right in the middle here. It's from James Chucker. Things are getting loopy. <laughs> James wants to know yeah. what U.S. men's national team internationals realistically have the most to gain slash lose in the summer transfer window. Sure. I'm going to say I think the number one, the most obvious one, is Bobby Wood. Yes. Uh, Bobby Tell us Wood why, though. definitely needs a move. Uh, it sounds like he's going to be playing with the Hanover like U23s if he doesn't. Excuse me, not Hamburg. Hamburg U23s. He is a Hamburg player. That's right. On he was loan, on loan. Was on loan at Hanover. Hanover got relegated, and he didn't help them not get relegated. Ooh, and they did not. I think they had an option <laughs> to buy. They did not uh, exercise that option. He's yeah. going back to Hamburg. Hamburg uh, are happy for him to move on. Yeah. Uh, I think so. There. Yeah, his wages off the books, I yeah, think. Yeah, exactly. 
So I think he desperately needs a move because he could stay there and get paid, but that is definitely not what he wants to do. It's on the bench, and yeah. it's and it's also no, no genuinely no disrespect intended, but this isn't a Gareth Bale situation where he's on like six hundred thousand pounds a week, and it's like, yeah, I'm not giving that up. So I think Bobby Wood on slightly less, so yeah. I think he can afford to make a move, maybe make a, a little bit less, maybe make as much, but at I least I mean, we don't know his financial situation. He may be over leveraged with like twenty mortgages. Let's hope not. In which case, I'm not sure uh, a transfer is going to make that big of a difference, but I think he has a lot to gain or lose this summer. He wasn't even on the Gold Cup preliminary no. roster. Greg Berhalter has never called him up. No. It wasn't so long ago we were arguing, like, should Wood start or should Altidore start? Yeah. He was nearly the number one uh, U.S. men's national team striker. Now he's not even in consideration. So he essentially needs to get his career back on track. Yes. I would recommend a move to the Netherlands. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, yeah. that, that is where Americans go when they want to score goals. Yeah. Josie banged a load in. Yes, in he did. Yeah, join RZ, Bobby. Yeah, just don't then go join Hull. It's not yeah, a good idea. Yeah, or Sunderland. Or Sunderland, yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely not that either. <laughs> yeah, um, so Bobby went to the Netherlands. Yep. I'm, I'm calling that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to beat you to one that I think you uh, got excited about, wrote down on your piece of paper. Timothy Weir. Timothy Weir, I think, yes, probably could use some sort of move. Not necessarily like a permanent move, but I, I, st- alone. I think we're going to have another situation at PSG where there's some chaos. Uh, there's going to be maybe some, some players sold, some players brought in. I don't necessarily know if they're going to look to Timothy Weir to come in and make a huge impact. I mean, any ambition he has or any promises they make about first team minutes, mm-hmm. I don't think will be realized because they just always end up spending money on, on players, right? Yeah, and I would even... They were in chip promoting last year. Yes, they did. I would even extend it further because we know that Neymar is suspended for, I think, like the first three to five league games. He? He's suspended for the first, I think, three Champions League games or at least two. But that's so, not enough to get Tim Weir no, in the team, right? No, but uh, th- exactly. That's my point. Is like I feel like what we might see is a situation where if he stays there, it's another like, oh, he got some games in the beginning. This is really exciting. But it's because players aren't there. Players are returning from Copa America. Once Isn't they're all back. literally what happened this past year? Yes, with players it coming is. back from the World Cup. Yes. And Weir scored a couple early on, right? But I'm not biting oh. out of this time. So I would like to see him get a low and get like a full preseason with another team. How about this? So just before we started recording this, yeah. you pointed out to me that there's some sort of deal in the works there's, where yeah. the owners of PSG, which is essentially Qatar, mm-hmm. um, have made a bid for Leeds. Yep. And there's going to be um, a situation where the same ownership group owns PSG, owns Leeds. I thought we, I couldn't like Leeds less. We could have a kind of... Uh, yeah. Yeah, like... Uh, not junior, senior. I mean, I guess Leeds will be the junior team, but it's mm-hmm. kind of a, a linked system, right? In the way that maybe Red Bulls do is the way you described it, which I think is yep. interesting. Tim Weir on loan to Leeds. Plus, he goes there, Leeds with the all-white. Bielsa. He looks really good in the all-white kit. He scores some goals, maybe Madrid. Or like, you know what? That's what we need. Let's get him <laughs> into the squad and then he can sign for another huge club. And maybe you know who he'd be up against if he went to Leeds? Jack Harrison. Remember him from NYCFC? Of course I do. He sort of plays that left side. Yeah, the attack. assist in the playoffs. Yeah, he has that left-sided attacking role for mm-hmm. Leeds. I think Tim Ware is a better player. I'd like to get the chance to find out. I guess we'll find out, find out <laughs> when he goes to Leeds. <laughs> All right, here's one for you. Uh-huh. In terms of the most to gain or lose in making a decision, Weston McKenney. Ooh, I have him. I have him on here, but as not Weston McKinney unless dot, dot, dot. So Weston McKinney could take his career to the next level with like some 35 million euro move to Liverpool. Yep. And he gets in that Liverpool midfield rotation. That has been rumored in mm-hmm. the past, right? Or Arsenal, maybe, who really do need a bit of verve and bite uh, in midfield. Weston McKinney could provide that. The U.S. national team midfield needs some, some yes, bite in there. Maybe he gets a transfer there. Probably. Hopefully we yeah. transfer him in there against Venezuela. That'd be good. Um, Actually, we didn't mention on our, uh, our review show of Jamaica that there is that Sunday game against Venezuela coming yeah. up. Yeah. We chose not to acknowledge it. <laughs> it it'll be happening. Yeah. Um, but the, the alternative is Weston McKenney could stick with Schalke mm-hmm. 
and the David Wagner era starts, and yeah. maybe Schalke are actually good yeah. after uh, after a while. So it's a big like gain or lose situation in terms of the decision. The worst thing would be to like move to Liverpool, be on the bench, or not do well, and then Schalke are flying in the Bundesliga, like mm-hmm. challenging for a title with Wagner in charge. Yep. Yeah. So it's a big decision for McKenny to make. I think he's got to maybe go back there after the summer and almost quickly get a feel for what's going on with the club. I, I would I would agree, yeah. and that's Tough decision. It, essentially exactly what I why I had it written down the way I did, because I wouldn't hate to see him get a move if it means he's going to like a club of even like higher profile. I mean, Schalke are pretty high up there, but like, like a club of even higher but profile. But they're 14th in the Bundesliga this There's season. that, where maybe he gets a minute, maybe he gets to play in the Champions League again. Uh, but... As you said, if David Wagner's coming in and riding the ship and things are exciting again and maybe they qualify for the Champions and League that, next year. But that year. ship is facing the wrong way right now. Yes, it is. <laughs> but, but I also think that like because of how chaotic the Schalke season was, Domenico Tedesco's fired, Weston McKinney plays, I believe, 13 different positions. Mm-hmm. Somehow that's possible. I don't know if his value— actually is with all the formation changes. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know if his value is what it would be if he had another strong season yeah. under David Wagner. Yeah. So I think I'd rather see him stay— Unless it really does make sense for him to get a move. Yeah, okay. That makes sense to me. Uh, here's a weird question. Say Ajax changed their policy completely and Ajax were like, we'll give you £25 million for him and Schalke accepted. Do you like the idea of him going to Ajax? It's a weirdly a smaller club, yeah. but a better club. Exactly. It's yeah. odd, right? And it's it's a lower standard to play in the Eredivisie versus the Bundesliga. This is true. So for that reason, I don't like it. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Experiment uh, negated. Cancelled. Uh, here, here's one. What about yeah. Tyler Boyd? Because Tyler Boyd was on loan at Ankara Gaju, uh, has played in a variety of, of clubs of varying size. I think Vic, Vittoria Guimaraes, I think, is his parent club. Yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely doing that from memory. I'm not sure if that's true. Okay. Um, so I don't know, like, where are we with him? Would you like to see him stay in the well, Portuguese league? I've seen league? his highlights so far. I've just yeah. got no idea. Yeah. I, so I guess maybe we'll wait until after the Gold Cup to decide yeah, on that one. Maybe he might catch some attention yeah. in the Gold Cup and just enough for his Portuguese team to be like, all right, we'll start you. Mm-hmm. But he is a player who is not like, not that he's old, but he's not, you know, a 17 year old or something. 24 like. or something? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So it does feel like the time when maybe a good performance at the Gold Cup gets him a move to a slightly larger club or gets him to a place where he's playing more consistently for a more competitive team. Yeah. I genuinely think that staying in the Turkish Superliga but moving to a bigger team is yeah. probably a good move for him. I'll be honest, I mean, I agree, that would be nice, but I, I'm just not confident enough in any opinion I have about Tyler Boyd because I've only seen highlights. I'm yet to see him play a full game. All right, Tyler Boyd yeah. to Wolves confirmed. Got it. Ooh, All right. I'd take it. Really? I'd take it. We're I'm not, not, re- sure, we're not, you, really, I'm not, not sure you would. We're not really playing with wingers anymore, right? We have wing backs uh, and two forwards, so there's not really a role for him at Wolves right now. I feel like seventh in the Premier League means you've you got to kind of raise your uh, estimations a little bit higher in yeah. terms of who you're going after. So, so some guy I only heard of a few weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> not so much. Not so much. Any other names? DeAndre Yedlin. Yep. Um, so Newcastle, it hasn't been completed yet, right? But mm-hmm. Newcastle are being taken over uh, by, I've forgotten the name, is the Bin Zayed group. Yeah. So a Middle Eastern uh, conglomerate, essentially, that would pour a lot of money into the team. I, Much as I've come to like DeAndre Yedlin recently, I think his US performance was really good when he played um, in the last round of friendlies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if Newcastle starts spending money and upgrading, he's probably one of the first names to go. I, see, sadly, I, I don't disagree, but I like also agree in the sense that I don't think he's one of the first ones to go. I think he's one of the first ones to be like knocked down the pecking order. Right. So n- he's not even good, right? We yeah, don't exactly. want him to be a backup at Newcastle. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, he's sitting the bench for a team as they slowly get better. Yeah. I don't know where he could go. Maybe a Championship team. Probably maybe a championship like a team. like a Brighton type lower mm-hmm. end Premier League team. But I think it may be that if they start signing players, he needs to look for a, a good landing spot. Yeah. 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 I would I would agree with and that. Especially he's like. 
coming towards late 20s, this will sort of define his career, maybe this next move. Or even if he just fights and wins his place back, that's a decision he could make. Yeah, so it's, it, is, is, it is kind of a stay and fight at Newcastle if Rafa Benitez is still there with new ownership. If that does happen, there's a lot of ifs there, but I'm with you that it does feel like another kind of very important season yeah. for him in the trajectory of his career. You got any more? I've yeah, got one more. I do. I've got Emerson Hyndman, uh, who Remember Emerson Hyndman? Yeah, remember that guy? Yeah. yeah uh, I think, Did Bournemouth remember Emerson Hyndman? They do periodically. I think of <laughs> who's his scout? Is it uh, Richie? Garcia. Thank you. Oh, we put it together together. Um, I, I, I loved the way he characterized it as like, Eddie Howe dug through a trunk and found some Emerson Hyndman and put him in for a couple minutes. <laughs> like, I, and, and that is kind of sort of the way it went. And Emerson Hyndman has been a player who, since his move to Bournemouth, we keep thinking – Maybe he's going to get some time. Okay, no, he's going to go on loan. Okay, that loan didn't quite work. Okay, maybe he's going to get some time. Oh, no, that didn't really work. And I think at a certain point, you can't sort of keep in that yo-yo existence. I don't think it's good for you, honestly, psychologically, to to never really be confident in your position, in your situation with the club. I wonder how much money he's on. I wonder if it's like if there's an element where it's worth him staying at Bournemouth just because he's making so much more money than he would, um, Mm -hmm. like moving back to MLS, or not back, but moving to MLS or moving to some lower, like like lesser team or lesser league. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... For him, though, it's weird, like, right? Long, long term, he'll make more money if yeah. he actually makes a career of it mm-hmm. and goes exactly. and somewhere. Yeah, and and that's one where I w- I really wouldn't mind seeing him move to a lot of places. Like I wouldn't mind seeing him move to their Divisia. I think that could be a good for him to get minutes and kind yeah. of get some confidence back. Style I like, fits. I like, I like that we're talking about the Air Divisia as though it's like the easiest league in the world. Right? It is not. <laughs> but he's like a nice passing possession yes. midfielder. He could fit in there. I think if there's a team willing to take him on, maybe yep. even just alone there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any room left at Vitesse, or is it still full of Chelsea players? It, it's probably still full for now. <laughs> for now. Um, and then my final player that I had on my list was one we I talked to you about uh, off air earlier. It's Tim Ream, and it's mostly because I'm genuinely annoyed with Fulham because I don't know how good Tim Ream is because they were so bad last season. Yeah, and I don't know if that was. His fault somewhat, his fault a lot, his fault not at all, because he didn't get much support. So, Tim so, Ream... yeah, I, I would argue not his fault, mm-hmm. but he also, he never, like, he was, he's often left, like, two-on-one because it was yes. just massively exposed, wing-backs went really high. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's ever a situation where Tim Ream heroically saved that no. 2v1 situation. It's unfair to expect him to, but maybe once out of ten times he might have. Yes. And we didn't see that. We did not see yeah. it. So it, it's, it's just not Tim Ream's game. It's not, but it feels, it does feel Heading like... Heading it away is Tim Ream's game. That's fine. Put him on a team where he needs to head it away. <laughs> uh, but it does feel like an important summer for Tim Ream, in my opinion, because if Fulham like do kind of retool, restock, like kind of get reacquainted, and then do move back up, and he's part of that squad, that's great. I think but, that's what happens. But if they fall not off a little move bit, back up part, I think he just stays and is a championship player. Uh, see that, but again, that I would not mind as long as there's like consistency and stability. But if it is, they give it to offload some players, and they can't get rid of some, so they have to get rid of other ones who are a little bit more key, and then they end up struggling. I want to avoid a. Situation. I don't Fair. think that's going to happen to Fulham, yeah. but if suddenly Tim Ream is struggling in the championship, there's no way that helps his career long term. Hopefully there's not a documentary plan called Fulham Till I Die, because that's that. how you know Fulham are in trouble. That's how you know. Final name I have is Matt Miazga. All right. So he just finished that loan at Reading. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I assume mm-hmm. at some point he's going to have to go back to Chelsea headquarters and be like, where am I going next? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and he'll find out. I don't know where Matt Miazga goes. I think a championship team would be great. I think Villa in the Premier League would be great. I keep pushing for that because mm-hmm. they need centre-backs. Yeah. And I think he'd be a, a really good pickup for them, even on loan. He's not going to start for Chelsea. No. I really doubt he'd start for Chelsea. And especially given all that they have going on right now, I'm not sure that he is 
top of their list in terms of priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's so, in a trunk somewhere. Right? Yes, exactly. And we hope he doesn't stay there. We don't want him to be yeah. like found mid-season and like, oh yeah, this guy. Oh uh, yeah, go play for the U twenty three. Yeah, take the mothballs off him. We'll yeah, I, him. I would love a, a loan or permanent move to Villa. I yeah. think that would be, be a solid shout. Yeah. Yep. So Matt Miazga, um, not make or break career wise, but like uh, more of his career progression with a. a Smartly chosen low yeah. move. Yeah, yeah. It would be the way to go. I agree, my All friend. Right. All right. So that's a lot of players that we would like to see get moves. One or two who were okay if they do not move. Uh, <laughs> but hopefully, either way, we've answered that question. All right. Today's sp- show is also sponsored by mm-hmm. Wix. It is indeed Wix. W-I-X. Wix is there to help you build a website. Daryl, do you need to build a website? If so, Wix is there. I actually do need to build a website. Do you? And I am working on it. It is not done. <laughs> Mostly, what do you have stuff going on? Yeah, it's not Wix's fault, it's my fault. Mm-mm. But we are building a website using Wix um, for the as yet officially unnamed, we mm-hmm. know what it's going to be called, yep. Total Soccer Show spin off show, which I want to say right now will debut oh boy. in late July. Okay. Yeah? Because uh-huh. here's the Total Soccer Show plan. We're going to do the the summer of soccer that we've got going on. Yep. Women's World Cup, Gold Cup, Copa America, African Cup of Nations, transfer rumors. There's a lot going on. Mm. Late, like last couple of weeks of July, mid July to late July, we'll be able to take a week or two off, right? Just yep. to you know get our summer break that we have. Mm-hmm. But we already have recorded um, more than half of the episodes for this spin-off series. Yep. Which um, I don't give too much away about it, but I think. It will answer a lot of questions that people have about soccer. Mm-hmm. How about that? There It'll we be go. like a resource for people right, to learn a lot about soccer. You're giving too much away. We're going to publish that in mid to late July, mm-hmm. and you'll have multiple episodes to sort of consume while we're away. Yes, they will. But as I said, I think Daryl has given away too much. It's also worth noting that uh, at this point in the evening, the recording crashed and we couldn't get it back, but it was late. So I decided I would go at my own. So Daryl is no longer with me, uh, but I am still here to talk about Wix. Wix is the site that we will be using to build the website for that new show. Uh, We hope to have a lot more than just the episodes in there, a lot of kind of like background information and interesting stuff to help go along with the podcast. Um, And that's what Wix does. They give you total creative freedom. Freedom uh, with infinite design possibilities to make your website unique and individual and uh, kind of reflect your personality, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, Make it your own masterpiece. How about that? They also have the technology to build what you want. They have the technology. Uh, The platform enables you to create whatever you want yourself, whether you're a novice, a business owner, an advanced designer, or a professional website builder. They've got something for everyone, and they make it easy for everyone, which I certainly appreciate because of those settings. I'm going to to say I'm below a novice. Uh, the other thing they do is make it easy to get going. You can get started today for free at wix.com slash TSS, and then you can apply the code TSS at checkout to get 10% off when upgrading to premium. Once again, get started for free, free at wix.com slash TSS. So if you're going to build a website, you can go there, build a free website, and that way they know that we sent you. But then if you want to upgrade to premium, you can do so with that TSS code to get 10% off your premium account. Thank you very much to Wix for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Daryl, who was with me for most of this, but no longer is. And thank you very much to Bobby Warshaw, who still is with me, and I'm going to get back to talking to him right now. Uh, yeah, and that, and that was the obviously going to be the final one there, is with Beralter, kind of his primary uh, formation that we, we would expect with Adams going central. Do you think Tyler Adams is the best person to do that role, or would you rather have him start centrally and have somebody else do that job? Well, I think some people assume that Tyler Adams at right back 
is taking your best player, and I do think Tyler Adams is our best player right now, and that includes McKinney and, and Pulisic. It's taking your best player and putting it right back, which it has just natural trigger in our brain. It's like taking the kid that should be playing shortstop and putting him in left field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we think right back. But the way the team is set up, with the way they do like their positional possession, the right back is the player with the most autonomy, with the most time on the ball, and the most most ability to create overloads and impact the game and create dangerous situations. Um, not to mention, he's not actually defending at right back. Mm-hmm. Right, if we have most of the ball and the game plan goes as Greg Berhalter hopes, he's counter pressing in the middle of the field as a center midfielder. So, I, I like his personality in the middle of the field, but everything else tactically aligns for him to play right defender. All right. All right. I, I can handle that what one. What do you think? What's, give, me, I, give me the pushback on that. I mean, honestly, you're not going to get much pushback from me because if we're going with the kind of realistic scenario of this is what Greg Berhalter wants to do, I mean, I know Nick Lima did it in the January camp. I, I feel like it is the job for Tyler Adams. I think what ends up happening is that when you look at that lineup, the way things have gone, it's either going to be Michael Bradley or Will Trapp starting there. And when Tyler Adams moves in there, then he's going to be playing alongside them. And I think uh, for people who don't like Major League Soccer, don't think Major League Soccer is of a high standard, or I guess maybe just don't like the crew, I think they're not going to be necessarily swayed by Will Trapp starting there. And then for many, many other people, we've had this conversation many times, I think they're not going to be convinced by Michael Bradley starting there. So then it feels like you're kind of... I think like the way if you see it in the reverse way, then you see it as like oh Tyler Adams is being pushed out to left or to right back because they're trying to accommodate Michael Bradley or Will Trap. Whereas I think I'm more so of your way of thinking, which is that if you're trying to get this person to be right back who comes centrally, that seems like Tyler Adams is the best person to do that. But you need someone to play alongside him, and Michael Bradley is probably the best person to do that. So that's where that system makes sense to me. So I'm inclined to agree. Um, I know uh, RB Leipzig, for example, do not i think they tweeted out uh congrats for making the roster as a right back question mark or something like that but uh but uh, but i'm with you there i would like to know though your thoughts about maybe not michael bradley but more so will trap because he's one who i've had mm-hmm. like heading into the this game uh the game last night and this camp uh i was unsure who greg berhalter really necessarily preferred in that spot for the national team bradley or trap uh and it seems like after after last night and the fact that bradley wasn't on the bench along with a lot of other players who we would expect to be in that first team as a starter i think that gave us an indicator but then trap really struggling in a way that i don't think i've ever seen him struggle at least not with the national team i do think now that it's probably michael bradley's job to lose uh but i'm wondering what you think of first of all that if you agree with that opinion but second of all what what it is that like you think for people who aren't convinced by will trap what is will trap bringing to this national team that maybe somebody else is not he's a he's a passer so i would say three specific things 2.5 specific things is <laughs> to me and i know and i've had people that i that i respect within soccer tell me i'm wrong about this i still think that will trap is one of the better players at taking the ball under pressure if you want to be a possession team that's just, you have to do it Right. I think he's better at it than Russell Canals, than Kellen Acosta. And these are players that I rate extremely highly. But if you think about the way Burhalter sets up his scheme, that one specific trait, can you take the ball and keep your head under extreme pressure? I still think Will Trapp is superior in that. Uh, and the second corollary to that is he's good at hitting the long ball, right? He understands when to hit it. He's good at getting his body shape right to hit it quickly. And he's clean when he does it which is just an important part to the way Greg Greg Berhalter's teams play is hitting that winger wide open on the Mm -hmm. sideline. 
I personally like that that part about Berhalter's team, but he values it and he wants players that can do it. So that is the argument that whether you rate Will Trap overall, Greg Berhalter has what you know was called the player profile, and in every position, it's a couple specific traits that matter more than others, and Will Trap can do those. And is that a satisfactory answer? It is. I like that you're worried whether or not I'm going to give you a good grade or not. Uh, but yes, I'll, I'll, that's a satisfactory answer. But my question then becomes, like, are you – do you like that style of, of coaching, of management? Uh, but I think I was texting with Daryl a little while ago, and, and he seemed kind of frustrated by the Burhalter argument of, like, well, we have to have a starter in every spot and then a replacement for that starter, like basically a like-for-like replacement. Because it does feel like if you go that route, there's a chance you miss out on – talent because you already have talent in that position so you don't need somebody yes this is maybe in reference to josh Sargent, but also that like if there's a player who's really really good on the ball but in that spot you don't need them to be really good on the ball then maybe like you don't include them in a way you should so i'm wondering is like do you think that is an asset to have sort of replacements at every position that are relatively like for like or am i mischaracterizing it entirely uh you're gonna make me disagree with daryl when he's not on the show you're damn right i am yeah, I'm perfectly fine with it because great, I am an I go over the top on this. I'm an over the top system guy. I would argue that I'm an over the top system guy because just about every successful team of the past decade at least has been extremely system and detail oriented. So granted, I think that there's a body of evidence for me to feel this way. But yeah, I'm perfectly okay with having very clearly defined roles in every situation and wanting specific players who can, who can execute those clearly defined roles. And I think that this general idea of talent only wins out when the game is chaotic and a good coach and a good system doesn't allow the game to become randomly chaotic that often. All right. Um, uh, let me just finish, let me I would, just write down real fast. Bobby doesn't care about Daryl. Got it. Cool. All right. Sweet. <laughs> No, listen, I would make this counterpoint. And this is, I have a story coming out soon that makes this point. We talked about the Richmond kickers and the way they play. Mm -hmm. And the question is, can you play that way with players in the USL League One Championship who are not in La Liga? And I think that's a very very fair point. But the players that I would reference, the teams that I would reference, were all in Germany and the Premier League and Serie A. Not Serie A, La Liga, because who watches Serie A? Um, (laughs) So maybe the, maybe the national team doesn't have those guys, uh-huh. right? So in that case, maybe Taylor's right, where it's like if Will Trapp can't do the Will Trapp role at the international level, then what the hell are we even trying? Just put Russell mm-hmm. Knauss out there and let him, let him knock people over because that is the more practical way. So I'm, I, that's, I'm sure that's what Daryl would say to me, so I'll make the counterpoint. For <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he appreciates you now debating yourself, and I do as well. <laughs> um, so we've talked about like the kind of more holding midfielders. I think it's safe to assume that the – Two other more central ones, one being a 10, one being an 8. But becoming a 10, it will be Pulisic and McKenney, backed up by uh, Holmes and Roldan. Mm-hmm. Uh, out wide is where I have I, my biggest concerns. It's the one where I just sort of – I found myself today, I think similar to what you were talking about, uh, about like you thought we'd be further along. Like I kind of looked at the options there and did have that moment of like, really? Like – all right, I guess so. I guess this is kind of you, you go to war with the armor you have. But it, uh, it seems like the options there are going to be Paul Ariola, Tyler Boyd, Jonathan Lewis, Jordan Morris. Um, so, like, where, like, who do you have in your depth chart for the people out wide? Uh, 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 
putting you on the I'm putting you on the spot yeah. here to remember your whole depth chart. I, instead, you could just talk no, about. I have, it. I have it open. Okay. No, I mean, I have it open. I'm just again, I'm with you. It's like not something I'm yeah. dying to talk about, except to say I don't know why Christian Pulisic uh-huh. doesn't play that spot. Yeah. And I don't think we've talked about this yet, so I'm going to bring up this point to sure. slightly answer that question. I don't think we've conceptualized the fact that Greg Berhalter, I think, is will have two very different game plans and two very different styles and lineups to fit those game plans. One is what we saw against, was it Ecuador? It was Chile next second and it was Ecuador before that. I believe that's correct. Yeah. And we smashed Ecuador, right? Had 75% of the ball and the next game, Chile pressures us. We don't have much of the ball. Right. I think that's a very good example of the two different types of games that Greg Berhalter is planning for and the two different types of formations. And to me, when you play that Chile game, when you're defending a little bit more, when you're going to try and get out and transition a little more, Christian Pulisic is your second forward. He's the one that's up there with the center striker and the, and the two in the 4-4-2 four, four, set. He is the Miguel Marone, the one that gets on the ball and hits you on the counterattack right away. When you're the team that's in possession most of the time, that you're going to have 65% and the right back tucks in. I should also note that I think DeAndre Yedlin is the right back in that system, and Tyler Adams is the centerman in that, in that system. That makes sense. When you're going to have more of the ball, and Tyler Adams is your right back, and you have the two tens going high and the wingers staying wide, I don't understand why you, claw, why you put Christian Pulisic in the clogged middle instead of sticking him wide, where A, we don't have as many replacements, but B, it just fits his skill set better. All right, yeah, that that makes complete sense to me. Why do you think then, like, Greg Berhalter wants Christian Pulisic central? Because, again, there's not a clear person to do it, so I understand that. You know, I think if we had two people, Iguain, then Pulisic wouldn't have to do it. But, B, I also understand that he is, if you can have any single player turn and face an opposing back four 25 yards from goal, you would want it to be Christian Pulisic, and I understand that. Um, and that maybe Berhalter thinks that those opportunities are more valuable than the wide opportunities. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make an argument here. To be honest, I don't get it. Like it, it's actually super weird to me. And I trust Berhalter; he's a bright guy. But this is one that I do not fully get. And if I had one single question to ask Greg, this is what it would be. All right. That, that, yeah, I, I appreciate that, and I hope that you will. Uh, but I, I also think that, like, to your yeah. earlier point about like Dwayne Holmes and Jonathan Amons, like I feel like there's there's a weird chart of when you've watched a player the right amount, and you can kind of have an informed idea about that player. Mm-hmm. And then I think it can tilt over into like when you've watched that player too much. And I almost think that Christian Pulisic mm-hmm. is one of those types of players where we've seen him play for Dortmund we've seen him play in the Bundesliga the Champions League we've seen him play with the, for the U.S. national team and I think the more hyped you get about him combined with the more you see him the more you think like well he could do it all and I think like I've I've been slightly down on Christian Pulisic and it's not because I don't like him it's not because I think he's a bad player it's just that I kind of have that feeling of I'm not sure that's necessarily what he's good at but I think people mm-hmm. see him they see him on the ball they see him score goals and, and hit good through balls and they think like well he could do that he could be our number 10 and that probably is solved but I don't see him doing that for Dortmund I see him doing it wide for Dortmund I will see what he ends up doing for Chelsea but that's that's sort of where I I, I'm really glad you said that because I completely agree that I think it makes far more sense to put him in a position where he is more comfortable I would say from his club experience but also it seems like can therefore thrive in that role and can be much more dangerous as a result you I we're we're very much on the same page all right we're buddies. I, I, I hope that this I hope that this doesn't come off the wrong way, and I hope this doesn't come off as I think nobody has more 
personal investment in Christian Pulisic, like the kid from Harrisburg, right? Yeah. I think I've said this on the show. His dad was my favorite player as a kid. When I first trained a professional team, Mark Pulisic was the assistant coach for the Harrisburg City Islanders when I was in high school. Um, so, I, you know, it's like a family that I'm not saying I know well, but he, I've had my eye on him for as long as he can kick a soccer ball. Uh, but I also think that we got ahead of ourselves. Yeah. You know, he started a games for Dortmund and he was pretty good. And then there's a good year plus when he was not good more often than not with a national team. He was not good more often than not with Dortmund. Like it was really only in the last two or three months that he got his career back on track and he had to show something. And I know we don't, we don't say that in the American soccer ecosystem or media that often, but it needs to be said that both Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney need to show us something. Mm. And I know that McKinney was getting games in Bundesliga. His Schalke team sucked, right? Sucked. Mm -hmm. And he was playing regularly and he might've been one of the better players for that team. But like, if you're just looking at, and I know league level matters, I'm not going to say that Bundesliga isn't better than the rest of the leagues, but just off pure eye test and what you're seeing on the field, it's hard to say that he really demonstrated that on a regular basis. And it feels to me that we don't just say that often enough. And this isn't me as like an MLSer saying MLS people need to be given something or MLS people are better. Like I'm obviously not saying that, but I also think we don't hold the bar high enough and say, like Christian Wissick, Weston McKinney, have you actually been playing well lately? Yeah. I mean, have you really been living up to the bar to the expectations we've allowed ourselves to have for you? Yeah, I, dude, I I appreciate that. I ha- this is this is stuff that I haven't really been able to articulate. So I appreciate uh, you going this road with me because, like, I think it's such a fragile time for the U.S. national team and for fans of the U.S. national team after the failure to qualify, the year of sort of indecision with Dave Sarikin. Now we've we've got a coach, but it seems like we've lost some time, and and I'm totally with you that I think there ends up being like as Daryl tweeted today it's like yeah but we get to see Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney and that's really exciting and it is don't get me wrong but you're absolutely right that like once you start thinking like well McKinney did play for a really bad team and he played a bunch of positions and and hasn't been at his best form and Pulisic hasn't like gotten nearly as many minutes as we would have liked him to get like you do have those moments and suddenly I think the foundations upon which our like positivity about the national team is built start to kind of get chipped away a little bit. And I think people get a little yeah. bit nervous about that. I'll say that for myself, that like if you start to remove some of those things, suddenly things seem far more precarious. And I think it's safer to just think, uh, you know what, like McKinney and Pulisic are untouchable and they're the best. And uh, Tyler Adams is the best mm-hmm. midfielder in Germany. And then you feel a little bit safer. And so, no, I think you're right yeah. to take that a slightly more critical eye it's not fun and it's a little bit more scary, but it probably also puts you in a more realistic position to then be excited when you suddenly do see the player turn it on, when Weston McKinney does turn it on, or when Georgie Mihailovic is able to navigate a bit more, you can kind of see like, oh, okay, they've improved, they've changed. So, no, I, I take your point, yeah. and I, I appreciate it, Bobby, as I appreciate you, yeah. although I am going to add to my notes, uh, Bobby also doesn't care about Christian Pulisic. So that's that's a shame. Yeah. That's a shame that I have to write that one yeah. down. Um, all right, so then going yeah. back to the wide, wide problem for a moment then, of the players who are on this Gold Cup roster, who would you most like to see play wide? Uh, can I, I'm actually going to pivot this question because I oh have boy. another point that I want to make. All right, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> that, if, that going back to the right back and why Tyler Adams should play it, I actually don't think Wes McKenney can play one of the two higher positions. Like, I'd be really – the only the – only, Logical reason I see to Weston McKinney while we're talking about both the attacking mids and Weston McKinney is he's incredibly good in the air. Like he is a A plus. He he's like Brian McBride potentially better than Brian McBride in the air level. Uh, 
but in terms of his ability on the ground, his ability to play, I don't think he can play in tight spaces. I don't think he can play on the half turn. He is very good at running at people. It's weird. We think of Weston McKinney a little bit as a defensive midfielder, and I think in our brains, but really he's pretty good at running the space and playing through balls and slipping balls in. So I wouldn't, if, if Michael Bradley does not work at defensive midfield, I wouldn't hate seeing Tyler Adams move there and Weston McKinney being the unbalancer at right back Ooh. who kind of comes inside and is the one that has the space. Uh, if Berhalter wants to keep moving pieces around. So who would I play wide other than... Hold on, I just want to jump in to say, Bobby, I really like that idea. I really like that idea. That's that's really interesting because that is also... I said Weston McKinney played a variety of positions. Uh, A number of those were in central midfield, and then one of them was right back slash right wing back. So it does feel Mm -hmm. like he kind of could combine those things into that spot. So, all right, I I look forward to maybe possibly one day seeing that. And if not, then continue to wonder if it could work. But yes, for now, for the wide players, what you got? Which is more fun. (laughs) Yes. I had I had Timothy Way. If I'm being honest with you, right. prior to the I hadn't updated this in between the U20 World Cup and this. I think I still have Timothy Way. He's the one I would like to see. Uh, after that, and it, again, depends on the type of game. I would put Kulisic on the left. I'll put DeAndre Yedlin at right wing. Um, after that, I don't feel great about any of it. You know, I've I have no problem bringing Jonathan Lewis as my first player off the bench. And I'm not saying Jonathan Lewis is the third best player in the pool. I think he is uniquely and perfectly talented to come off the bench in the 75th minute. Mm -hmm. Um, But after that, I don't feel great about it because I really like Jordan Morris as a player. But Jordan Morris is more of a wide forward. He uses uses his speed to run behind. And this system is a little bit more of a 1v1 winger situation. Uh, I don't really know enough about James and Amon or Savvy. I mean, Haji Wright started getting the Bundesliga a little bit more last year. So um, give me your list. I'm really – who? what names have I missed here? I mean, that's, I guess, kind of the frightening thing is not many. Um, I mean, of the ones who are on there, the, the the little footage I've seen of Tyler Boyd, I was excited by. But, you know, to your – again, your point of we kind of go the mixed disc route there. So maybe I should hold off until I see him play mm-hmm. uh, a, a greater number of minutes and certainly get uh, with the national team as well. I think we will get to see him. My, my guess is that in terms of the starters, it's Ariola and Tyler Boyd for that first game against Guyana. Um, I, I – mm-hmm. I, have hesitation about it being DeAndre Yedlin as the winger just because I don't always love his touch and his distribution but I see why you would like that 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 is just the only thing is I just don't I don't necessarily trust him to kind of like make the good passing decisions when he gets into those attacking spots that said I guess I'd rather him give the ball away in an attacking position than in a defensive one Um, and then yeah you're, you're absolutely right that like once you start going down that route you run out of options fairly quickly and maybe we are then looking at some of the younger players like Timothy Weah maybe Conrad De La Fuente gets older really really fast that would be cool because uh, yeah otherwise it does seem like that is maybe suddenly our weakest position or like in terms of depth at least yeah I'm, I was I was groaning at the Conrad De La Fuente thing Not, nothing about Conrad mm-hmm. just because I've had it up to the top of my head of here Hearing people ask for these not, these kids to make it into the full team, but that's oh, I mean, another conversation. Well, you're not excited to see him to see him start for the, uh, for a Gold Cup team and start for Barcelona next season. 
I'm very excited for it. So I'm very excited for it. I'm here. I'm I'm here for it. All right. <laughs> all right. So we'll see what happens out wide. Then we have the issue of center forward. Uh, for this roster, it looks like it would be Josie Altador uh, with Jossie Zardes spelling him either as a substitute, maybe getting a start here or there. Uh, but that has obviously led to much frustration uh, and like outright anger in some cases. I would say on Twitter uh, because of the absence of Josh Sargent and. I am genuinely of two minds here. Uh, I, I'll go first and buy you some time to think about this because yeah, I feel like I, I keep putting make, you on the spot. I was going to make you go first. Sure. I was uh, going to make you go first. <laughs> All right. So here's here's why I am frustrated by it and here's why I understand what happened. And then I'll try to figure out which one I'm leaning towards more. I'm frustrated because uh, you mentioned Timothy Weah. Timothy Weah was basically allowed to go play for the U-20s because I think they evaluated what they had and thought, yeah, you know, we have depth that wide. We don't necessarily want to play him as a striker maybe. So he'll get more minutes, more meaningful minutes for the U-20s. Let's go do that. The implication in my mind then becomes, well, if Josh Sargent's going to be in the provisional roster and isn't going to be sent to the U-20s, then that must mean he's going to be on the Gold Cup roster and is going to be getting some minutes because otherwise, why call him in at all? So for him not to make the roster, and I would say that of the... Nobody had a great game last night uh, against Jamaica. I thought... I did think when he came on, Dwayne Holmes was pretty good. We thought... Surprisingly, it was it kind of physically hurt me to say that Omar Gonzalez was good on the ball and made some good decisions. And I thought Josh Sargent did all he could, given the like lack of service, certainly in the first half. Maybe should have finished the one from Dwayne Holmes, probably should have finished the one from Dwayne Holmes. But it feels like maybe it didn't end up mattering because I think at the end of the day, whatever Greg Berhalter saw in camp, didn't instill enough confidence for Sargent to supplant Giassi Zardes. And I think that that's really... He's already seen Jossi Zardes do this role. He kind of knows what Jossi Zardes is capable of. He was his coach at uh, Columbus, obviously. So I think it will take a lot for him to be knocked down the pecking order, and I think it would take a lot of consistent performances from Josh Sargent or kind of lights-out performances. So I think he is probably third in the depth chart, at least in Greg Berhalter's estimation. And that maybe is like a cop-out way of explaining it, but to me it's the realistic one of like I'm, I, I can't get mad – or like, I, I feel like it's a waste of energy to get mad at Greg Berhalter for thinking the way Greg Berhalter is going to think. If that makes any sense, like it's mm-hmm. it's it's just sort of like I know that's that must be the way he feels. It's like Josie yeah. Altador is our best possible yeah. striker. I know what Jesse Zardes mm-hmm. brings me. Josh Sargent isn't quite there yet. So to me, getting yeah. mad about that because I think it might be different, I it's mm-hmm. it feels like a little bit of a fool's errand there. So yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see Josh Sargent included. I don't really understand Berhalter's logic with the whole. Like, well, it might have like he would have been there if Legette were there, but then Legette's not there, so we had to worry about other stuff. So, like, that doesn't really hold as much water to me as the simple explanation of I think Giassi Zardes and Josie Altador are better than him, and I wanted to have depth elsewhere. So, I I guess that's I guess that's my answer. I I think I don't know if I actually answered it, but I think that's why I'm kind of conflicted on it because I get why he wasn't there. I still would have liked to see him there. But I do think I understand it, and I guess that means I guess I don't understand yeah. as much the uh, intense response to his absence. Yeah, that was good. I, I agree with that. Here's, okay. what, here's what I would add, and I'm having an emotional pushback, and this is why I kind of laughed at the De La Fuente thing and the U-20 thing. I'm just having an emotional pushback to the whole play your kids sentiment. Okay. And I obviously think it's good for the American ecosystem for young players to play – but I just think we've gone too far when we watch these kids in amateur soccer games. The U-20s 
is amateur soccer games. Half of those kids, and I know they're getting it paid, they're still essentially playing, playing amateur second, third division soccer. And we're asking them to automatically go ahead of people who are playing professional soccer on teams that would beat their team 7 nothing or 4 nothing. Um, so I agree. If I really had to put my, my house on it, that Josh Sargent will be a better player than Josh Zardes if he isn't already. Yeah. But from a coach's standpoint, I mean, how many games did Josh Sargent play for Werder Bremen this year? Eight, 12, whatever it was. It's a little bit like we, what we said with Weston McKinney. Sargent didn't look particularly good, if good at all, and, and he played 10 games this year with the first team. You probably watched as many of them as I did, Taylor. Did you think that he looked good in any of them, really? I mean, he was fine, but I, I thought, all of a sudden you're saying... I was just going to say, I remember, I remember, like, again, this is where I say we watch a lot of soccer, things get fuzzy. Uh, I thought he looked okay in his first couple games, because I remember I was, I think it was yeah. Sargent that I was talking about, about like, let's see until he scores, like, he's not getting, Daryl was very hyped on Josh Sargent, I was like, well, you know, he hasn't really gotten minutes yet, let's wait until he actually does something, and then I think that weekend he scored a goal, and I got a bunch of uh, mocking tweets. So I think in the beginning, we saw his impact, and he seemed like he fit in, um, and then I'll be honest, like, yeah, I don't think I watched much of him after that because he started to fall off and didn't get nearly as many minutes as we thought he would. Uh, I pulled it up. He, yeah, 10 appearances, as you said, one start, 200 minutes, which is certainly not what I think he was expecting. Yeah. So that's, I agree with you. He did have the first few games were promising. And listen, I've been as excited as Josh Sargent as I have any striker, maybe since Josie or even more so than Josie. I am really into the kid. But at the same time, I'm a little tired of us getting upset when the coach picks like the professional who he can trust and he knows the sample size. And I'm not saying that coaches aren't cowards at times. I'm not saying that Josie is good enough or he's the type, he's the guy that I want on our national team. I'm just saying, I think as human beings, we can at least have a little rational, you know, rationalization, whatever the mm-hmm. word is to this, to say, I get why the head coach would make this pick. He's not an idiot. It's not the wrong pick. I get it. And it, and it makes sense. I'm um, opposed to us consistently like anointing these young players. Like if we were to go back and look at all the tweets being like, I can't believe this kid didn't play. And then look at their career in five years. He's like coming off the bench for Sac Republic yep. or New Mexico United. And it's like, how many times can we do this? Um, so I'm not saying it should never happen. I think I'm just in a little bit of a pushback mode where it's like, all right, enough is enough. I th- yeah. I, I, I take your point And I think that's fair because I think, it's especially like for fans, though, I understand where it comes from because the failure to qualify for the World Cup was was probably the mm-hmm. worst thing that has happened for the men's side of the game in a very long time, if maybe not like, mm-hmm. if, if ever. Um, and, and I think it felt like a crisis. And so then when there was the comments of, oh, you know, it was a couple inches wide, like a couple inches to the right and it goes in mm-hmm. and things are different. It didn't feel like the U.S. soccer leadership. This, this might take me a minute. So uh, but, but like strap in, Bobby. Uh, but, but like basically like it didn't feel like U.S. soccer leadership was dealing with it as a crisis, didn't feel like it was a crisis. So then it takes this year. And I think it still feels like, uh, are we better? Are things being handled right? And so I look forward to the day when we are not Germany, don't get me wrong, but like when Germany lose a game, I don't think there's nearly as much like everything is terrible. Oh my gosh, what are we doing? Everything is bad. When Leroy Sana gets left off the roster, there is 
conversation, there is criticism, but it doesn't feel like there needs to then be a an, like a deep look at what is going on with the Federation in Germany. And I look forward mm-hmm. to the day where we can get back to that because right now it does mm-hmm. it does feel like because things have been so bad that every time a player gets left off, instead of it just being like, well, maybe Josh Sargent isn't good enough yet, or I think he is, and mm-hmm. I think he should have been there, and that's the debate. It becomes a larger, well, we're not playing enough of our U-20s, and we're not giving mm-hmm. youth a chance, and we've got this lost generation, and we don't have this, and we don't... And like, and it becomes this like like indemnification of U.S. soccer like consistently, and I think that comes about because U.S. soccer has put themselves in this position, but like... It, it it makes things so much more daunting, I think, than like they probably need to be or is helpful for them to be. So I, I, I think I, I would rather it be, yeah, that sort of like, look, it's great if they play the kids, but it also – if a kid doesn't make the roster, that doesn't then mean that the system is broken. Mm-hmm. Yes. I have a ton to add to that, but we'll have more shows in the future because I think what you just said right now is – the exact right thing. All right. Well, there we go. And especially since I think when we start well, before we started recording, I said like, yeah, maybe just like thirty minutes or so, and we're almost up to an hour. <laughs> so uh, part of that is probably me getting a little bit rambly. So apologies for that. But Bobby, thank you very much because I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, we tend to go long mm-hmm. as we have today, but I appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a lot going on. Yeah. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. And I want you guys to know I'm working my way through the Women's World Cup shows right now. You guys did an amazing job. I'm off to France next week, so I've got to get oh, wow. them done. All right. Are you, are you working in France or are you, are you fanning in France? No, going with my girlfriend and my parents. We're going to take in the Chile, the U.S. Chile and the U.S. Sweden game. I, I, I'm sure she is excited about that. She is excited for France for okay, sure. And then, of course, it's the World Cup. Everyone's excited, right? <laughs> I mean, that part makes sense. I just, I, I, I don't know if my wife would be as pumped. Uh, granted, my my parents are divorced, so I, I don't know if oh. that would probably factor to the equation. But uh, oh, credit to her. Part. Oh yeah, that part, that part is, is you know, it's weird. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> She's being cool about. It. I thought you were meant like is she excited to go to the World Cup? No, but you mean yeah. Yeah. That that other part is. It's a management. It's man management. <laughs> there we go. It's man management. All right, Bobby. Well, well, thank you very much. Have fun in France, and we will definitely talk to you soon. All right, thanks.